Good evening, everybody, and welcome to On The List, episode 13. Today is Thursday, February 7th, and I'm your host, Austin Brista II, joined this evening by Jamie Sayer. Jamie, how you doing, man? Oh, good, Austin. How about yourself? Oh, I am just dandy. You know, we were just having the conversation uh, before we got started here about how you're a little chilly, I'm a little warm. Yes. Uh, it's It was uh, 73 or something like that today in Greensboro, North Carolina, and it's February 7th, and I'm just amazed at what living in the South is like now. <laughs> Yeah, it uh, must be quite nice. I'm not I, – I, I envy you a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you're uh, – I've been here all – You're up there in Canada, so that's that's yeah. got to be not warm, I assume. No, it's it's called the Great White North for a reason, you know? That it is chilly. <laughs> is. <laughs> well, for those of you who haven't joined us here on the list yet, every week I'm joined by a member of our list staff. We like to talk baseball, talk about what they've been writing recently, and we do a little mailbag session at the end where we will answer your questions. You can send those questions to us via email at community at pitcherlist.com. That is community at pitcherlist.com. Or you can send them directly to me on Twitter, and I am at Bristowski. Jamie, are you on Twitter, my friend? I am on the Twitter.com. You can reach me at at Jamie and then two underscores, Sayer, S-A-Y-E-R. The two underscores is where it gets tricky. I know a lot of people tried to find me before and couldn't. But Jamie underscore Sarah was taken already by some lucky guy. So Oof. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Didn't think my name was as common as it was. <laughs> I mean, I've never met another Sayer, but uh, what are you going to oh, do? See, that's funny because I know three different Sayer families around me, and I'm only related to one of them, obviously. So Man. it's it's interesting. Yeah. Must be a Canadian thing. It Honestly, probably. Like... I know just, a lot of your, your ancestors just uh, settled that area <laughs> instead of, I guess, yes, the yeah. states. I don't know, man. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Let's go ahead and get on into the baseball talk here. So what's interesting on this one is that Jamie and I have actually known each other for a while prior to his mm-hmm. joining the pitcherless staff just recently in the past few months. You see, Jamie and I... Uh, were founding members of the Dynasty League that I'm now the commissioner of. So uh, he and I were pretty good friends back then when he was uh, in it. He has since left the league for, you know, reasons of his own prior to me taking over, I would like Mm -hmm. to, I would like to clarify. (laughs) (laughs) But he and I were pretty good friends back when he was in the league, and I was very excited to see that he had joined our pitchless staff now along with all of our other 4.0 writers. It's very exciting to have him and all of our other writers on board here. So uh, that's great to have you here, man. I'm excited to be able to work with you again. Excited to get to chat with you tonight. And as with every other uh, guest I have on here, I'm going to give you the softball to start it out. Just, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, as I've already stated, I live up in Canada. Um, I live in Lindsay, Ontario, a small town, may I add, very small. I uh, I like your usual stuff, baseball, fantasy baseball. You know, I like that a little bit. like writing about it a little bit. Well, that's uh, cool. I like all sports, really, though. Yeah, yeah. You know, typical Canadian. I love hockey. 
like working out, video games, all that jazz. What uh, what video games have you been playing recently? Oh, Resident Evil 2 has been kicking my butt in a good way. Oh, it is boy. incredible. And I was I was just too young when it came out. So I'm glad now that like I never got to experience it then. But now I'm experiencing it again. And I understand why people loved it. It is so good. And the the, uh, the storytelling is pretty jokes. Like the characters are pretty like so bad it's good almost. You know, that sort of thing. Oh, I very much understand where you're coming from. That's awesome. All right. So, yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I do want to take a moment here. You, you, in our notes, you linked the uh, your original notes from our Dynasty League initial draft. This would have been yeah. um, in 2016. I think we started the draft in like August of 16 and finished it in November, something along those lines. Um, yeah, yeah, that would make sense. And some of the names on here are amazing like i know yeah because just, just you know two and a half years later it's amazing how many names on here are either completely irrelevant or some of like the prospects like we were talking about uh, a little off the air earlier how some of the prospects really have panned out quite well like uh one of your top targets for first base was mike napoli um one of your top targets at second base was logan forsyth uh, Brad Miller for shortstop. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh yeah. <laughs> some like I was looking this over and there's some throwback names for me there. I know, like Michael Saunders. I feel like he hasn't played since that year. Like I feel like he was in half the season and he just left. Yeah, wasn't he like a an all star that year? Like the first and only time of his career. I think so. Yeah, the half season with Toronto. Yeah. That man. Captain Canada, if I remember correctly. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, dang. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I'm just looking at some of these prospects you have here. Um, let's see, we got Josh Hader, who panned out rather well. Uh, you got... Yeah. Um, let's see, Soroka, I got your, Mike Clevenger. I was going to say, your your boy Mike Soroka, the guy you hype up all the time. Oh, man. I Hadn't been Soroka. taken yet at this point. Oh, <laughs> I've been trying to acquire him this off season uh, in the in the dynasty league that these notes were taken for, and no dice thus far. <laughs> yeah, well, that's because you've hyped him up so much. Now your league mates know how much you like him. I know, and it's they keep fault. asking me for so much. <laughs> <laughs> but another couple guys on here for the prospects: Willie Calhoun, Ahmed Rosario. Uh, Gleyber Torres and Ozzy Albies yeah. obviously have panned out nicely. Man. Yeah. It's it's, it's really interesting just to look back, um, you know, two and a half years and see how much player values can change. I know, yeah. And it's specifically the one the guys on my list in bold, those were more like my targets. And it's funny seeing some of the, my targets, like Casey Gillespie, I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Like, he's he's nothing now. He's with the White Sox, I think, and he's like a non-prospect. But back then, with the Rays, I thought he was going to be like a slug in first baseman. Now they have like eight of them. So, man, he wouldn't have panned out anyways. <laughs> man, and like Clint Frazier was su- supposed to be like this monster, and he's just been hampered by... Uh, concussion issues along the way. I know, yeah. Alex Verdugo has never gotten his opportunity. Man. And both of them still could be very good players. Like, they're very much not, like, irrelevant at this point. 
they just are blocked yeah yeah a lot yeah. of them I'd like to see Clint Frazier get moved out of New York and have an opportunity he, to play every day. Yeah, I think he's an interesting post-hype sleeper guy. I, I really like him. I still believe in the bat speed, but, you know, just with the injuries and everything, he's not going to get a shot in New York unless he, someone, two, maybe even two outfielders get hurt there. So Exactly. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, just looking at these notes and everything, just, again, from just two years ago, it's amazing how much has changed. Um, and you know I'm looking at the relief pitching here uh, Sung Hwan Oh is one of the guys you have in bold as like your main targets is he in the league right yeah. now? <laughs> sorry who? Uh, Sung Hwan Oh uh, yeah he plays for Colorado <laughs> does he? yeah he, I... got, he was a J the only reason I know that is because he was a blue J last year and he got traded for forced wall and I think Corey Spangenberg, or not Corey Spangenberg, uh, some slugging first baseman. Sure. And I think I think O is pretty good with the Rockies, if I remember correctly. Man, I just haven't. I would assume he just gave up him. like a hundred home runs, but <laughs> I just haven't heard anything about him since his days in St. Louis. I know, yeah. And I, if I remember correctly, there was a, a medical issue when he went to sign with I forget who it was, Baltimore or something. And then the Jays picked him up super cheap, and he was really good. And help went in the Jays' favor, so Man. can't blame. There you go. And then one name, one name Felipe on Rivera, one name on that, that list that gets go. me. <laughs> yeah, didn't, he doesn't even go by that name anymore. No, yeah, <laughs> Felipe yeah, Vasquez exactly. now. Yeah, I miss of course, on this that is list. What everyone wants to hear. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. There are our our old fantasy league like that you probably and like eight other people only really care about <laughs> no offense <laughs> oh for sure I, that's exactly the case give me your one more name you're one to say here and then we'll move on to you know the rest of the show the, the one guy i still have hope for but probably not because they outlawed his step was carter caps i i loved what caps did he struck out like 19 per nine or something crazy that half season oh and yeah then they banned crazy, like his motion jump motion yeah yeah exactly is he still with san diego in their system i have no idea Neither i do think I. he might be but i have no idea <laughs> yeah without we be able to use his mechanics i don't know if he's going to ever be effective again so weird yeah exactly so I weird to just look back like i said it's just like two and a half years it's not a long time but it's amazing how much the landscape can change in just that amount of time which shows exactly. how difficult Dynasty Leagues can be. Exactly. <laughs> well, you are one of our new Dynasty team writers here. That's kind of your specialty. So tell us a little bit about uh, the type of leagues you like to play. And I assume it's a lot of Dynasty Leagues. Yes, I do, yeah. My two main ones are two 30-teamers. And I absolutely, like, when I first went into my first 30-teamer, I was so scared absolutely had no idea how like 30 teams is, is mlb right that's how many it is it's scary thinking that you have to think about like we keep 330 players every year so i have to go like 700 players deep to think about who you know could break out or who's in the next big thing and that has really like grown my knowledge because i every year i find these guys that might become somewhat relevant for 12 teamers like ryan o'hearn last year he probably was on no one's radar 
up until he slugged like four home runs in three games or something like that. And I had already had him sure. on my team for like two weeks at that point just because I had no one else. <laughs> like yeah. I needed him just because he was playing and getting at bats. Like everyone is valuable in that sort of format. Literally which is anyone cool. who's going I, to get any opportunity is worth a shot in a league that deep. Exactly. I owned too many Baltimore Oriole pitchers last year. Let's just say that. It was oh, bad. <laughs> that sounds like a bad time. Yes, it was. <laughs> and we just were doing our uh, prospect draft over the last week or so. And I think four Orioles prospects was just drafted. And our, my whole league was going insane. Being like, you know, I think the apocalypse has happened. We're drafting Orioles players now. Like, this is not good. <laughs> I apologize to every Oriole fan who listening. <laughs> not for not well, for what me, we're saying. Not being for what a Blue we're Jays saying. fan. Yes, uh, being a Blue Jays fan, I already have like a somewhat natural hatred for the Orioles, just because every year they shouldn't have been good, and then they were good. I'm sorry, but <laughs> they every year I got like the Jays got kicked out of out of just like their butt kicked by the Orioles, and I got so sick of it. And then 15 and 16 came along, and it was just so so satisfying. Especially, not to bring back like haunting memories for Orioles fans, but like that wild card game where Britain was just in the bullpen. I uh, I still get chills thinking about that game when Edwin <laughs> hit a walk off bomb. Woo. Oh Woo. man. I'm sorry, <laughs> Orioles fans. <laughs> <laughs> Orioles fans stopped listening five minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they've they've turned off the podcast now. <laughs> That's true. We have they have moved on. <laughs> oh well, we've still got 29 other fan bases, right? <laughs> well, obviously, your favorite team here is the Blue Jays. So I think we can move right past that favorite team question there and move on to any of your favorite yep. players, whether they whether they be uh, in that Toronto uniform or otherwise. So my favorite player of all time for probably many Jays fans now is like Jose Batista for obvious reasons. Game seven or seventh inning of game five is like the best moment in my life sports wise. And I don't think anything will top it, which is kind of sad. Even, like, if the Jays won the World Series, it might. But, like, that moment just had so much behind it. It shouldn't have happened, and it did. And, like, the Rangers committed three errors in a row. And, it, oh, oh, perfect. I mean, so, it's yeah, honestly I, he's one of my the favorite. best, most exciting baseball moments of the past decade, I would say, easily. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, for being a Jays fan and having such mediocrity for most of my sport viewing life, that moment essentially changed how I viewed sports and it was it was great because I had only known like I'm a Leafs fan too so I don't know what winning is like I'm I'm a Raptors fan so I'm used to getting kicked out of the playoffs by LeBron every year and you know for the the Jays it was just it was nice to actually feel what winning was like and not only winning but like being down 0-2 and then coming back and just looking like the game was out of hand like martin accidentally threw a pitch that went off Chu's bat and bounced away and a run came in and of course it was brufnit odor that scored it who like most jays fans dislike quite a bit for obvious reasons (laughs) and that that game just made me such a baseball fan not only like a jays fan but a baseball fan it was oh yeah it was great (laughs) like i i have no and you know 
Jose Batista specifically the way he plays the game, you know? Like Bryce Harper and all the other players that like to show emotion and show, you know, this is a game that, like, you're supposed to show emotion. You're supposed to get flair, show flair and heart and everything. I, I really, you know, I dislike the players that are like, you know, it's like an old-timey sport. Like, you gotta, you gotta play it with respect, like Eric Hosmer. Like, you're bad, Eric Hosmer, and they're just be quiet, okay? <laughs> so I, I absolutely love the flair he plays with. You know, the fact that he's never gonna, like, he's probably gonna sign a minor league deal this year to try and prove that he can still do it. I love that. Sure. I can't blame him. The, uh, yeah. I have no particular allegiance to the Jays whatsoever, but that bat flip is, oh. like I said, it's, it's one of, the greatest moments in the MLB in the last decade. Um, if like, if we were to make a list of the best baseball moments of the 2010s, that would easily make the top 10, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, easily. Yeah. One of the most exciting playoff home runs probably ever. So, gotta love and it. And not to, not to go on another, like, tyrant but or tired but i had an opportunity to buy tickets to that game after they lost the second game against texas i had opportunity to buy tickets in like pretty good section there for like 20 bucks each and i turned it down because i'm like there's no way the jays are going to come back i was so heartbroken as a fan i'm like you know what i don't want to do it and i regret that moment so much <laughs> and you will for the rest of your life sorry <laughs> Oh, man. Did you repeat that one more time, Austin? <laughs> oh, you're going to regret that moment for the rest of your life as well. Oh, I know. I know. I know. It sucks. But, you know, <laughs> I got to watch it at home with my family, and I tossed my nephew into the air, and he was like – he wasn't small. Like, <laughs> that's how excited I was. Like, I just whipped him. That's how excited I was. So. Oh, no. Was he okay? <laughs> I I think he was all right. He was, you know, he was happy too. So any that pain works. that I might have caused, he was fine. <laughs> that works. Yeah, he's good. He's young. Fair enough. So another one that I really like on here, another question I'd like to ask everybody, uh, is there any article that you've written that you are particularly proud of? Yes. So my first piece actually for Pitcher List was one on one of my favorite baseball players currently, Jesse Winker, and how I compared him to Joey Votto. And that sounds absolutely insane because Joey Votto is probably one of the best hitters of the last, well, maybe ever. He's incredible he's got that much patience he's so like meticulous with how he works and his work ethic and everything but i when i dug into jesse winker i found a lot of similar similar traits that joey Votto has and you know it, it, it is a stretch to say that jesse winker will become joey Votto, but i kind of outlined that the that he has the ability already to be like a just like a joey Votto light and if he was just to grow into some power you know like sky's the limit for him he could be a top 20 fantasy bat and yeah i i put a lot of work into that and i was super proud to finally publish it and it got put on pitcher list top 30 for 2018 and that was a big deal for me i really like that yeah that was uh that was impressive you were one of the very few uh 4.0 folks that were featured on that list there 
Um, and it was a great yeah. debut for you. I read the piece. I'm also a big Winker fan. Love his uh, plate discipline skills. He hits the ball really hard. And I think he's really underrated coming into 2019. I think um, I'm willing to bet on the talent uh, that he'll work mm-hmm. his way into some playing time. Uh, I know that they're, with the acquisition of Puig and Kemp, uh, their outfield is very crowded right now in Cincinnati. However, I think he's talented enough that he will prove that he deserves to be not only in the starting lineup, but I think towards the top of that roster, uh, getting on base all mm-hmm. the time and scoring a lot of runs. So I, great one yeah, exactly. there. It was a fantastic debut piece for you on Pitcherless. So congrats with that one. And uh, Thank you. And out pieces like that. Just keep doing that. Oh, you know I will. Fantastic. <laughs> All right. So, what is it that you like to do outside of the baseball realm? You know, we like to kind of hear about your other interests and things like that. I want to get to know you, you know, outside of just baseball. Well, so I currently work front desk at a hotel, which is very interesting. I could go on a long time about the stories I've seen there, but I feel like I can't (laughs) i feel like there's some confidentiality thing that i i've signed somewhere i think so i won't but i also you know i love animals i've got a dog and a a kitten a new kitten that is taking a lot of my time and they are both lovable my dog is a german shep chocolate lab mix and he is just the best so mm -hmm. and you know like i said i love playing sports love watching sports all that jazz good stuff man i mm-hmm. i want a dog so bad i've never had a dog <laughs> um what my parents uh are both high school teachers and so there would never be anyone home to take care of the dog uh, during the okay. day and so we never had a dog growing up i've always had cats and i want a dog so bad but I can't have one right now because I'm working yes, and my fiance yeah. is going to school, so there'll be no one home to take care of the dog. Yes, yeah, uh, you'll get to that point eventually, you know. We'll get, we'll get, you'll there. get we, one. We've talked about one, it. We one both day. want a dog. We just have to get to the point where we can, you know, reasonably own a dog and give it a good life. Yes, yeah, and that's just it, you know. Constant walks, constant love and attention. Exactly, it makes sense. We want to make sure that we're actual good pet parents. We don't want to like, we don't want to like get a dog and then like, you know, neglect it, it and things you know? like that. But mm-hmm. we're not here to talk about dogs on this podcast. We're here to talk about <laughs> fantasy baseball. So we are continuing our rankings debate this week, and Jamie is here to debate with me on my third base rankings. So uh, he has gone through my third base rankings and picked out a couple guys he thinks I'm too high on and then a few guys he thinks I am too low on. So we'll go ahead and get right on into it. The first one you have listed here surprised me a bit actually. It's Javier Baez. I have him listed as my th- uh, fourth third baseman at 27th overall. And compare that to his NFBC ADP. I said it since uh, January 1st on, and uh, there he is at a 15 ADP, so being taken over on average as the 15th player, which makes him over there also the fourth player, fourth third baseman off the board. 
So I'm lower than the ADP. So I was actually pretty surprised to see Baez listed as a guy you thought I was too high on. Uh, what's your uh, What's your take on Baez here? He is. I, I think I might just be incredibly low compared to the industry on Baez, but there are too many red flags in my opinion for him to be a viable second or even third round pick. He uh there's only two players in 2018 that had a worse walk to strikeout ratio than he did and it was Salvador Perez and D Gordon, two guys that are not known for their plate skills and you know plate discipline. Sure. So I I think Javier Baez can make sense as a fourth round pick and where you you want some upside and you want you know even if Javier Baez regresses a little bit he can still be productive in the fourth round but I think if you're taking him like you said 15th is you know first round for some drafts if you're taking him 15th you're investing so much into this guy that could absolutely lose you the league and you know they say that you can't win a draft with the first round but you can definitely lose a draft and I, I believe that 100% with Baez and yeah, I, I like I, I would you. put yeah he's he's very risky I would put him you know I'd put him behind Bryant and even Anthony Rendon I'd put ahead of him and Bryant even with the injury history and the that that concern I still I still can't take Baez that high yeah I mean I think his NFBC ADP of 15 is downright dangerous like at that point there's almost no upside like and it's seems like there's so much risk like i don't think at the at that price he could overperform because i i legitimately believe that 2018 is going to be javier Baez's best season of his career i think everything mm-hmm. went right for him last season and i'm just not sure we'll ever see that again because he he almost never walks he has a four four and a half percent walk rate with a 26 percent strikeout rate and he also has a pretty high ground ball rate that concerns me for his power production. His ground ball rate is about 45.5% as well. I'm not trying to say that he's not going to be a productive hitter. I think he legitimately could hit you know, 25, maybe even 30 homers. Um, but I expect the 290 batting average, the 21 steals to regress closer to like a 265-15 uh, mark there. So... A 265, 25 homer, 15 steel guy is definitely valuable. Uh, but I think with those plate skills like you were talking about, uh, I think there's even more downside there. Um, and it's definitely not out of the question that he could be even worse than that. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm just – I'm not <laughs> – I don't think I'm high on Baez. And I, so I was very surprised to see that you thought I was still too high on him there. Um, yes, yeah. I would love to hear from someone who thinks that 15 is a good price for him. Because most of the analysts that I've been reading have said the same things you and I are saying. Like, everything went right for him in, in 2018, and he strikes out too much and doesn't walk enough. I would love to hear the flip side of that argument. Um, and I'm going to have to try to find a writer who is making that argument and see what they're saying, because I'm. I'm honestly so surprised to see him nearly in a first round pick because like I said, Mm -hmm. I just don't, I don't understand why people would be investing that other, unless they're like major Cubs homers. (laughs) 
which there are quite a few of them out there. But <laughs> sure, but even at that point, take Chris Bryant. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I do think people are overpaying a little bit for stolen bases as well. You know, with him, like I feel like at the turn after the first round, you've got maybe you take a pitcher or maybe you take a power bat, and you're like, well, I'd like to get some steals while I still can. It's not going to completely drain me in average or runs or RBIs or something like that. So bias might make sense at that point at the turn for that person. But I still think that's, you know, you can replicate the steals later on. Sure. And even the steals, he he was uh, 21 for 30 last year. So he's not exactly like a safe stealer. He's not uh, not got a great success rate there. So I don't know. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not... I don't think I'm going to own Javier Baez in any league this year. I, I expect he'll get taken before I'm comfortable drafting him in pretty much all of my leagues. Um, so I don't, I don't know that I'll be moving him down from where he's currently at. Uh, let's see who I have right behind him. Because I got him at 27 overall. Uh, directly I think it's Chris my, Bryant. Uh, yeah, and the third base ranking is Bryant. Oh, okay. In the overall rankings, I've got uh, Justin Verlander at 28 and Giancarlo Stanton at 29, and then Bryant at 30. Um, okay. I could probably understand moving Verlander over him. I'm not high on Verlander this season either. He's my ninth starting pitcher, um, which a lot of folks are going to hear that and go, what? But eh, he's 36. <laughs> We're not talking about starting pitcher though, so he I might move Verlander great. over him. He's still he he was very good last year. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I just I I'm not convinced I should put him behind Stanton um, because I think a lot of uh, Baez's issues Stanton has as well. Um, and while Stanton may have more power upside, I think Baez have a safer batting average and he will give you some steals whereas Stanton really won't give you much of that mm-hmm. that so makes sense I might, I might move him down like a spot put Verlander ahead of him <laughs> you know what yeah I'm going to make that change right now like on the air it's just going to move him real quick there we go all done ta-da good I'm glad Baez I persuade is... you to move Baez down <laughs> Baez is now at 28th overall so there you go <laughs> <laughs> so staying in the National League Central Division here, the next guy you think I'm too high on is Eugenio Suarez. And I don't I'm not sure that you're saying he's too high on my overall rankings, uh, but you have one specific player that you think he should be behind. Uh, before we get to that, I do want to give the information here. So he's he's my uh, seventh third baseman in the, my rankings, 36 overall. So I'm pretty high on Suarez. I like him quite a bit. Uh, compare that to NFBC ADP here. They've got him at the 54th spot in the ADP, which makes him their eighth third baseman. And you are upset specifically because he is currently ranked ahead of Anthony Rendon. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about that. So I, I just think Anthony Rendon is one of the most undervalued fantasy commodities. Uh, it seems like every year he gets drafted in the fourth round and someone's just like, oh, I'll just plug him into my third base and be all right with it. But you get you get like a 310 batting average with like a 400 on base. And while he might not hit over 25 home runs, he's still got an ISO around two 230 which is only 16 points off of Eugenio Suarez. So I think maybe the difference you get in home runs, he's going to provide more doubles, you know, 
a bit more power that way and he's still going to get a ton of RBIs and runs because of that awesome Nationals lineup and I just think he's safer you know he's been he's done it for at least three years straight now I think you know I'm looking things over now and uh, looking at your argument here I I think I agree with you that I probably should move Rendon ahead of Suarez here if for no other reason than the track record because Suarez has been good for a couple years. Like his tw- people don't recognize that his uh, 2017, he hit 260 uh, with a 13% walk rate and 26 home runs, which is a really solid year. And then he kind of broke out last year. But like you said, mm-hmm. Rendon has been a superstar caliber player for the past like two or three years. So I think I think you're right. I think uh, Rendon is just a bit safer here now. I do want to kind of hype up Suarez a little bit here because he is one of the players I am uh, particularly high on, I think. Like I said, I have him 36 overall compared to his 54 ADP. Uh, I love the way that Suarez hits the ball. He had the third best hard hit rate in 2018 behind only Matt Carpenter and David Peralta. He has a great fly ball rate for a power header at 37, but he also has a very high line drive rate at 24.6% there. So that line drive rate is going to increase his BABIP because um, line drives often fall in for hits a lot more often than uh, fly balls would. So he's got the good fly ball rate and the great line drive rate. So I think he could be a guy that gives you uh, 30 to 35 home runs. And I really do think that 280 average is sustainable. I'm honestly expecting him to basically repeat 2018 uh, in the 2019 season. Like I, I would not at all be surprised with a 280 average and 34 home runs next season. And honestly, he's in an improved lineup with uh, adding, you know, um, wow, I'm blanking Puig. Jeez, I just talked about him earlier. <laughs> adding Puig in there, um, getting Votto back to his amazing self, maybe get Winker in there on a better season, things like that. I think the Reds lineup is going to be very good. Plus, he plays half his games in a fantastic hitter's park. I'm very mm-hmm. in on Suarez. But I, I do agree. Um, I should move Rendon up. And actually, while you were talking, I did just that. Uh, I had Rendon ranked literally one spot in the overall rankings behind Suarez. So I had him at the 38th slot. And I just bumped him up to the 35th slot um, above Clayton Kershaw and Eugenio Suarez. So I've now got him directly behind Matt Carpenter, who's another guy that I really like this year. So he's now my he's now my seventh um, third baseman there with Suarez bumping down to the eighth spot. But again, they're very, very close in the rankings with Carpenter, uh, Rendon, and Suarez all basically within three spots of each other in the overall rankings. So there you go. You convinced me again. Two for two. I'm killing it. You are killing it. You are on a roll, my friend. This next one, though, we're getting into the guys you think I'm too low on now. And this next one, you will need to work to convince me because I have just never been a fan of Justin Turner. Uh, Turner I have ranked as the my 13th third baseman at 91 overall so i think i i have him in the top 100 here and i'm honestly surprised to see that i am higher 
than the NFBC ADP. Not by much. They've mm-hmm. got them at 105, also their 13th third baseman. Like I said, I generally think of myself as a guy who's pretty low on Justin Turner, but apparently I'm basically right on, if not a little higher than the rest of the industry. Um, here's my thing. I've never really been a fan of Turner, like I said. I was slow to believe in his swing change. He was one of the first guys who really started this fly ball revolution, and I didn't buy in uh, right away. And then from that point forward, injuries kind of kept me away. He's a, he's a guy who gets injured quite a bit, and a lot of times people will say, well, it's just like one-off things here or there. The issue is he stands extremely close to the plate, and that's part of his swing change. He's, he's able to he's able to make such good contact and avoid strikeouts because he can reach so much, pretty much every corner of the plate, because he's so close. The flip side of that, it's a double-edged sword there. He is constantly in a battle with Anthony Rizzo for the MLB lead in hit-by-pitch. Rizzo also is a guy who is, stands notoriously close to the plate there. And if you remember correctly, that's actually how he broke his wrist last year in spring training um, was he got hit by a pitch, and that took him out for the first couple weeks, first few weeks of the season there. So I, when he's healthy, he is he's very good. He gives you a great batting average. Um, he gives you solid power. He hits the ball very hard. Uh, got a good fly ball rate. I, but he's now 35. He plays on the Dodgers, who are never uh, shy about using their disabled list. I'm I'm just concerned about the volume he's going to give you. It was only 103 games last year, and I'm I'm not sure we can reasonably expect many more than 120 this year. What are your thoughts on Turner here? So my my one comparison I'd make with Turner immediately is I, I do mention this in the notes is Josh Donaldson. I I love both of them, but both are injury have, are coming off injuries, you know. Both, when healthy, are elite, but you have Donaldson in the 60s, which I think, I, I honestly think that's where he should be, and he's not being drafted anywhere close to that. But I just I just think if you're going to put Donaldson that high, you kind of have to look at Turner, too, because in the second half last year, he had an, an OPS of 1,066, which was just absolutely bonkers, you know? Coming back from that fractured wrist, it took him a bit to get that power going, but when he did, he was incredible. Like, one of the best, best, third baseman in the league so you know the health is always going to be a concern with him but i'm i'm the type of drafter that i will always bet on talent rather than you know injury history and then just you can just fill in that void with with a waiver wire option or draft a bench piece like like uleski guriel or or not sorry not uleski is yuli guriel kyle seager like astrubal cabrera is probably being drafted way too high since signing but like so guys like that, you know, that like you can plug in if Turner were to get hurt, and like like being injured is a as a very good concern with him. But I think that late, like you can get him in the eighth or the ninth. I think the upside is just way too high for him. That it it makes sense just to pick him and deal with the injury later, you know. Yeah, I I I see where you're coming from there. A popular strategy that I've heard uh, recently. Oh, hi Siri. Apparently, Siri wanted to <laughs> pop in on our podcast here. <laughs> She's got some um, words. <laughs> she does. A popular theory that I've heard recently is taking um, like a, a quote-unquote safe injury guy, 
like Travis Shaw or Matt Chapman, um, Raphael Devers, Mike Moustakis, someone like that, and grabbing either Josh Donaldson or Justin Turner. Because if you have one of those you know, safer injury guys, you can just plug them into your utility spot and be pretty happy with that because those are going to be very good hitters. Like third base is so, so deep this year. Mm-hmm. It might be the deepest position uh, on the infield. I'd, I'd say the only position that can um, hope to compare as far as depth is shortstop, which sounds crazy. Um, so with third base being so deep, I think if you are willing to take a shot on guys like Donaldson or Justin Turner here, um, if you back them up with another solid third baseman, someone you would be comfortable slotting into your third base starting role, um, you put yourself in a pretty good spot to where if one of those guys gets hurt again and misses significant amounts of time, you're really not missing out on a ton because you've got that other guy that you can just push right into that third base spot. Mm-hmm. So I think if you go into drafts with that mentality and you, you think to yourself, okay, um, maybe you, with your first pick, you're, you get the third pick or one of the early picks, and you end up with a guy like uh, Jose Ramirez, Nolan Arenado, Alex Bregman, something like that. It may be worth taking a guy like Donaldson or uh, Turner to be that utility spot even. Um, because like you said, when Turner and Donaldson comparatively are on the field, their production has been fantastic. So... Mm-hmm. I might move Donaldson up a bit. I'm just not sure I can rationalize moving him ahead of Travis Shaw. I think Shaw is a very safe player for power this year. I love that he's also second base eligible, yes, um, yeah. which helps a lot. I've got him as the 12th third baseman directly ahead of Justin Turner in those rankings. But I have them... Um, and they're really not that far apart in the overall rankings either. Justin Turner is at 91 spot with Shaw at 88. So it's really not that far apart. But I, in my head, I just can't see myself taking Turner over Shaw. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I get what you're saying there. Shaw. He, he, the only thing with Shaw that worried me a bit was last year he took a step back against lefties. And I, I am almost concerned that they might sign what the Brewers have been doing, you know, signing guys super cheap because they're such a good value. I could see them bringing back a Moustakas or bringing up Keston Hira or something and starting them against lefties while Shaw gets the bench, and that could be a concern. But I like him a lot when he's playing every day. Yeah, I, I definitely could see that concern, especially with Keston Hira coming up. The uh, uber second base prospect for the Brewers, for those of you who are not familiar there, he's a uh, Supposedly going to be a big force and could be seen as soon as midseason in 2019. Mm-hmm. Well, like I said, I I don't dislike what Justin Turner can do when he's on the field. I'm just concerned about how much total production you're going to get from him and how many games you'll have to deal with him in your um on the disabled list, or I guess on the injured list, as the official uh, announcement was made today that they're renaming the disabled list to the yes, injured yeah. list, mm-hmm. injury list, something like that. So there's there's that that I'm going to have to get used to. 
I, was I know, today, yeah, same here. <laughs> I was saying today in the Discord server that uh, IL doesn't roll off the tongue quite as nicely as DL. DL, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, it just kind of feels weird in my mouth. Like, I, everyone, real, real quick, just try and say IL. Just say it out loud, and it, it sounds, it's IL. It sounds, it's hard to say. I don't know. It sounds like you're almost trying to say like IRL, like in real life. And that just sounds weird to me. I don't like when people <laughs> short form like words like that in real life, ironically enough. <laughs> but enough. <laughs> yeah, stuff like that kind of bugs me a little bit. So IL, I'm going to just, you know, it'll take me a bit to get used to, but I guess every other sport uses injury something, right? So true. And I mean, I'm also from mm-hmm. Illinois, which is abbreviated IL. Uh-huh. So maybe that's, that's throwing me off a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, that Who's would make sense. Say? <laughs> now, the last guy you wanted to discuss here, and we'll probably take a little bit more time on this guy because he's just such an interesting case. Of course, the Blue Jays fan here wants me to move up Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And I'll admit, <laughs> I am one of the lower guys in the industry on him at this point. I have him as my 10th third baseman at 71 overall. And if we look at the NFPC ADP, I'm pretty low comparatively. They have him at 42nd, and that's their sixth third baseman. I, I just, there's a part of me that just doesn't know what to do with him. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. What, what? Give me your take on Vlad Guerrero here. You're the, you're the dynasty guy and the Blue Jays uh, fan. So, go ahead. If you've got, if you've got the NFBC ADP up, can you tell me what third baseman are being taken behind him? Sure, just give me one second to load it back up here. It had turned out on me. Let me see. The third baseman being taken behind Guerrero. Uh, Let's see. It goes Chris Bryant at 5 at 35th. Then it goes Guerrero. um, Oh, yeah, I was was doing uh, from January on. Give me just one moment here to make sure I stay consistent with that. Because I think that's important that we can do the more recent drafts. All right, so from January 1st on, uh, Chris Bryant's still at 5, 34 ADP, and Vlad comes in at 42, 41.55 with uh, Rendon at 42.5, so basically a pick difference between Vlad and Rendon. Eugenio Suarez, they have at 53, Matt Carpenter at 69, nice. Um, <laughs> which honestly I think is way low for Carpenter after the season he just had and the way he hit the ball, but... That's a different story. After that, they go into guys like Andrew Har, Shaw, Donaldson, Justin Turner, etc. So the guys mm-hmm. direct, directly behind him are like Rendon, Suarez, and Carpenter. See, for them, I could all make the argument that Vladdy, like his floor is close to what Rendon could do. And that's his floor. Like his steamer projections are absolutely bonkers. They project him to hit 306, 368, 511 slugging which comes out to a way to run created plus of 138. And that is tied with Chris Bryant, who's going right ahead of him, so it makes sense. Now, I think, like like I said, I think that's his floor. Like, we've never seen a prospect like this ever, you know, just destroy the miners like he did, almost hit 400, hit bomb after bomb after bomb every night. And, like, I might just be a little biased, but, like, when I listen to his home run, it, it sounds different than anyone else. It sounds like two like pool balls hitting each other and it just you know i could see him coming to the rogers center and just you know in a good offensive environment hitting like 35 40 home runs and that that's absolutely insane to like want to project for a rookie but 
we've never seen anyone like this. Even with Acuna and Soto last year, you know, they were relatively like Acuna was drafted eighth, ninth, and Soto wasn't drafted at all, and they just kind of exploded eventually. But yeah, like Vlad, I don't know. This, yeah. He's a special. He's special. Like I, I in the notes I compared him to Miguel Cabrera, and that's that's kind of the vibe I get from him when he was with the Marlins, you know. Except Cabrera was a lot thinner and. Uh, Vlad has quite the stocky body and especially his lower half but man oh he's a he's a big beefy baseball boy he is he's a big big boy so big boy of baseball I'm looking at at his steamer page here and what he did last season and it it was impressive um he just absolutely destroyed uh, double A and triple A as a 19 year old. Like he hit over 400 in 61 games of double A while hitting 14 home runs. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Like we've never, we have legitimately never seen a prospect this good before. Like he, he is possibly without really any hyperbole here. He is possibly the greatest hitting prospect we've ever seen. That's not to say he's going to be the greatest hitter of all time, but we've never seen a, a player impress and do this well in the minors. We've never seen a player be this successful this early. Um, if I try to look things over and nitpick a bit, because there's really not much to nitpick here, the ground ball rate is kind of high for a guy who's supposed to be a power hitter. Um, in his 61 games at AA, it was at uh, about 40%, and it went up a little bit in his 30 games, small sample there, of course. In 30 games at AAA, he had a 47% ground ball rate, and only a 24% fly ball rate. Now, again, that's a very small sample. Um, from what I have heard from other analysts throughout the offseason, we may not see a ton of power right away next season. Um, I've heard a lot of people are projecting him for between 20 and 25 home runs um, with like close to a 300 average. I think, I think a lot of people are expecting him to be more of a doubles hitter at first. But you're kind of right. I'm not sure <laughs> that he won't out-earn he won't outperform Rendon. Like, mm-hmm. I, I remember having the argument earlier in the season when I was initially doing my third base rankings. And I put him initially uh, behind Matt Chapman, which I realized was silly, so I fixed that. And I was trying to decide whether to put him ahead of Josh Donaldson. And I decided I would I like the upside of Donaldson more. But now that I'm looking at things, I mean, with Donaldson, the one of the issues is we don't know how many games we'll get from him because he may be injured. With mm-hmm. with uh, Guerrero here, Vlad Guerrero Jr., we the, one of the issues we have is we don't know when he's going to be called up. We assume it'll be early in the season because it should be. Otherwise, yeah, going to be some like legal action taken probably and like a grievance ish filed but i now that i'm looking things over again i think his floor might be better might be higher than donaldson's floor 
I still would, am going to have issues moving him ahead of guys like Suarez, Rendon, Carpenter, etc. Mm-hmm. Because I, while he does seem to have a very high floor, I just, like you said, I'm not sure. I think realistically, I think his floor is something like, like if we're being pessimistic, I think his floor is something along the lines of a 280 average with 20 to 22 home runs. Uh, and he's not going to steal any bases. That's not part of his game. Mm-hmm. But that's a very good player still. That's a very useful player. And he could be a 300-plus average with 25-plus home runs, even just next season in 2019. Yeah. However, I don't know that we're going to see big power from him like we will from guys like Suarez, Carpenter, Bryant, potentially. Like, I, I don't think... It, I would be surprised if Vlad comes up and hits 30 home runs next season. That would surprise me. So, I just don't know what to do with him. I don't... I think a It's lot so of, hard. <laughs> I think a lot of fantasy analysts are really confused as to how to properly rank him and analyze him because like you said we've never seen anything like this we've never seen a guy be this good in the minors mm-hmm. so i just I, I don't know i think i'll move him above donaldson now that i'm looking things over but the gap between donaldson and suarez is pretty sizable i've got donaldson like even though they're back-to-back in the third base rankings at eight and nine donaldson is 66 in the overall rankings and suarez is at 37 so there's a lot of wiggle room in between there if I do want to move Guerrero up. So if we look at guys in between, um, I don't think I, I could reasonably take him above Daniel Murphy, who I legitimately believe ha- will win the National League um, batting title playing in Colorado this year. So he's Murphy is at 59. So that would still put him almost 20 spots, uh, over 20 spots behind Eugenio Suarez in my overall rankings. Behind other players like Reese Hoskins, Chris Davis, um, let's see, a lot of pitchers in there. Mm-hmm. Whit Merrifield, things like that. So I'm, I feel pretty good about having him behind Murphy. I'm looking at other hitters in that range. I got Aaron Hicks at 62, which is pretty high in as far as the industry goes. Jose Abreu is at 63. That's an interesting case. Abreu versus Vlad Jr. Hmm. What are your thoughts on that one? See, I feel like last year Abreu started to show signs of aging a little bit. I think his swinging strike rate was up, and he wasn't making as good contact as he had the year before. But I still think he's like a reliable first base option. And that's as crazy as that sounds. It's getting harder to find a good first baseman that you can just plug in and, you know, let them be good for you because there's not that many anymore. But I, I I would I would personally take Vlad Jr. over Abreu and I I would take him over Murphy, too, just because I see Murphy being, you know, kind of injury prone at this point you, with like Colorado is notorious for bringing out ham like leg injuries, I believe. And. He's just came back from a knee surgery, and that's you got to wonder how much he's going to play. So I think, playing like I think Vlad, the only downside I can see with Vlad is the lineup around him is going to be kind of gross. 
So runs and RBIs might not be too plentiful, but you know we've seen like stars before where they're the only guys on their team still produce like a hundred. 160 runs and RBIs combined easily, and I think that's very valuable. I mean, just look at Freddie Freeman from the past few years before the Braves were good. That's what he basically was. He was the only good player on that trash lineup, and he was putting up like 60 RBIs and some of the lines of Oof. 60 runs. Like, it was... Oh. I remember analyzing Freeman back then for fantasy purposes and thinking, okay, he's going to hit near 300. He might challenge for 30 home runs, but the um, the, the RBIs and runs just aren't going to be there. Like, yeah, here, if we look at his 2015, 2015 was 66 uh, RBI and 62 runs in 2017. <laughs> it was 71 RBI and 84 runs. Like it's, it was rough for a while there. Jeez. And so that that could be what you're in for if you are investing in Guerrero. So he won't be a very reliable source of runs or RBI there. But he could give you some power, and he's almost definitely going to give you a very safe batting average now again he's not going to give you any steals so you'll have to invest elsewhere to get those i'm looking things over and i i'm gonna move him ahead of donaldson here and i think i'm gonna put him right behind abreu i think abreu has better power upside for this next season um I kind of like Abreu still. I think last season was a bit of a fluky kind of thing. So that puts uh, Guerrero as my ninth third baseman and 64th overall player. So it definitely is better than when we started recording. Yes, tonight. yeah. But uh, yep. So you were able to convince me on three out of four of the guys. That's pretty solid. That's Yeah, I did my job well. You did. Like, I told you to, to make some arguments, and you made them. So I'm, I'm pretty pretty proud of that. And, you know, I think, personally, I wouldn't take Guerrero over Rendon, I think, either, just because I think Rendon is that safe and of an option. But I don't think his 42nd ADP is that insane. I would – I can see people reaching for him in, you know, the second or third, and that's that's pushing it a bit. But I, I definitely would take him in or in the 40s for sure. His minimum pick, the earliest he's been taken since January 1st, is 19th overall. Oh. Vlad Guerrero was once taken 19th overall. The latest he's been taken since the 1st of January is 67th. Oh, that's a steal. <laughs> you won't, I mean, you won't I've be got, getting Vlad I've got at him all. at 64. Like I, and honestly, I don't expect to be able to draft him there, but I am ranking based on where I expect players to finish based on value at the end of the year. Like that's, that's what my goal is. I, I want my rankings to reflect as closely as possible the end of year, um, like overall rankings on how the actual players performed. So I think there will be 63 players who outperform Vlad Guerrero. So I, I, I'm still, I feel good about where I have him ranked. Because I think 
if the um, Blue Jays do dawdle at all with his call-up, which I hope for baseball's sake they don't, that mm-hmm. could cut into his value some. Again, he's not going to give you any stolen bases, which in fantasy, for hitters' purposes, is kind of a big deal. I'm not sold that he's going to give you a ton of power in 2019. I think he will in his career. He's only 20 years old next year. But uh, in 2019, I'm not uh, I'm not expecting a lot of power. So I think there's there are going to be people that will outperform him. I think it, taking him 19th overall is silly. That is silly. <laughs> so... I might be, I'm still definitely one of the lower guys in the industry on him. And like I said, I'm not going to be drafting him anywhere because he's going to be taken in all the leagues before I get to him. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm at peace with that, I think. Yeah, you're just, just wait until spring training rolls around. Your last draft happens like the final day before the season starts and Vlad's hit 18 spring training home runs, batting 700. You're going you're gonna to want your, a piece of Vlad, let me tell you. Oh, man, do you remember a couple of years back when uh, Greg Bird hit, like, 14 uh, <laughs> home runs in spring training? Oh, oh, that's that just brings back a memory of uh, in UDL where I traded Greg Bird and Sean Manaya for Anthony Rizzo because Bird – yeah, because Bird in spring training hit, like, 14 home runs. That's right. Yeah. Oh, oh I love that deal. <laughs> I think I remember that deal, and yeah, that was pretty controversial. Yeah. I'm pretty – yeah, I'm, I think the guy <laughs> might have either dropped out soon afterwards or like he just was in it to trade. I don't remember too much, but I remember loving that deal and people not being too pleased that it, it happened. <laughs> <laughs> I think Rizzo got passed around to like six different teams before we ever played our first season. Yeah, yeah. He was trading him around. <laughs> Yes, yeah, he's a frequently dealt player. <laughs> oh man. Well, if we're if we want to go back over the guys we went over here. So uh the guys who thought I was too high on were Javier Baez, uh Eugenio Suarez, and you thought I was a bit too low on guys like Rendon, Justin Turner, and Vlad Guerrero. So mm-hmm. again, three out of five. Pretty solid on your you're convincing me to move him around so well done yeah. there, mate yeah and I, I you know even with suarez i don't think i probably should have put rendon in the too low rather than suarez in the too high because i think he is being drafted right where he deserves to be and not even right where he deserves to be i think he's being underdrafted right now like 36 overall makes more sense to me than 54th as his adp so i i probably shouldn't make it sound like i don't like suarez at all i just found that rendon was safer and I, you know, I think Suarez is a great third base pick, and I should not have put him as too high because he's great. He's incredible. Well, there we go. We'll, we'll call it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll call it like two out of four then. Four, two out of four. Okay, I'll take it. Fifty yeah. percent. Batting five hundred. Way to go. <laughs> All right. So as always, we like to finish up the show with our questions from our listeners here again you can send those questions to us and i'll read them on the air we'll answer them for you You can send them to us by email at community at pitcherless.com or you can tweet them directly to myself i am at bristowski that twitter way there is probably the easiest way for me to get them and i 
I like to interact with all you on Twitter as well. So give me a follow over there. Send me your questions and we'll answer them on the air. So the first one we have here is from one of our uh, supporters for our community channel here is from Kyle Seiler. And he's got a really neat question. So he wants to know from both a dynasty and general standpoint, so like a dynasty and redraft sort of way, what current third baseman is ranked outside the top 15 that you believe will have an impact in 2019 and beyond? Okay, so I've got a couple here. Even though he's not going to be playing for third base, Jake Lamb. You know, he's coming off that shoulder surgery. People are forgetting about him completely. I think his ADP is after 300. But he's still third base eligible. He's still pretty young. He can't li- hit lefties all that well, but... You know, he's still he's shown enough power in the past that he could hit 30 home runs easily. I think he could still break out a bit. And I've got Miguel Sano here as well, who's in his final, final make it or break it year. You know, he's got a ton of pop, but he's just got to prove something at this point. This is I will not be fooled again by Miguel Sano after this year. This is it. I say that every year, but this is going to be it. Just like his teammate, Byron Buxton. This is this is the last <laughs> year I'm going to I know in our, in our current dynasty draft we're doing on pitcher list, I thought about Buxton so much, and I'm like, you know what? I just can't take it. He's going to be such a headache. I can't pick him, even though I should have because he went pick like two, 220 or something, and I regretted not taking him. But That's kind of Back to third base. But third yeah, base. I, I know, yeah. <laughs> so a deep, deep league guy that I like a lot is an, Jake Lamb's teammate now is Wilmer Flores of the new, like old New York Mets, who got no playing time whatsoever, never got a chance to really show himself, and that he's good. But now that he's in Arizona, he's got steady playing time at second base, so he's going to be second base eligible. But he also is third base eligible, I think. So he's got a you know a shot to show some, be an impact bat with a ton of pop. He also last year showed some reverse splits from what he's normally. He could normally can hit lefties, but couldn't hit righties. But he hit righties better last year than lefties. So that made me curious to wonder if he's maybe showed some advancement against righties. And if he has, I think he's going to be a somewhat breakout bat, you know, even with the humidor there. And one more gamble for a redraft bench spot is uh, Austin Riley, the prospect for the Braves, who I'm sure you love quite a bit. But just with Donaldson, you know, being so injury prone, if Donaldson were to go down with any sort of serious calf injury, which, you know, it's he has twice in the past two years True. i think the braves are going to bring up riley rather than play out camargo i think camargo's good and he's an interesting piece as well but i think you know i think riley's proved enough in triple a and the braves would be best just to bring him up if donaldson were to go down for any serious amount of time even as a braves fan i'm actually not very high on austin riley um that was interesting I, he's he's a bad defender, so uh, he's more more of a DH type, I think. <clears throat> and playing in the National League, of course, he can't DH at least yet. They've been talking about moving that, changing that, and making the entire MLB DH. But that's a whole other barrel of worms. <laughs> anyway, um, I like Camargo quite a bit, so I, I would actually kind of prefer that we just stick with Camargo and trade Riley for something. I don't know. Trade him for yeah, a well, hour. But um, <laughs> I like your guys that you listed as well. Uh, Wilmer Flores, I think, is a great, great sleeper pick for deeper leagues this year. Uh, he's got some very solid pop. Um, I think they're, they're, he's got an outside shot at 30 home runs. 
no joke. I think he legitimately could do that, even in the now humidor uh, chase field. I think he's got a chance because he's always been like a 20, 20 uh, home run guy, but he's never had much playing time. So mm-hmm, I would not be yeah. surprised at all if he does that. In fact, I'm probably going to make that one of my bold predictions. Don't steal that from me. That's mine now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, the one that brought him up. <laughs> I know, but you made me think about it. <laughs> fine, fine, fine. You can have it. You can have it. I'll give you dibs. <laughs> so the guys, <laughs> I uh, the guys I want to discuss outside the top 15 here um, for redraft leagues. I think Mike Mustakis is being overlooked. I've got him ranked 19th, but he's still uh, right around my top 150 players overall. And depending upon where he signs, because poor Mike Moustakis still does not have a team after doing the Mm -hmm. same thing last year, poor guy. Um, I think he still could challenge for 40 home runs in 2019. Um, In Dynasty Leagues, I think right now is 100% the time to try to acquire Ian Happ from the Cubs. Uh, he's both outfield and third base eligible, and I think he's still got some really nice upside. And after a disappointing 2018, uh, I think he's got that post-hype discount now. So Ian Happ is a guy I'd be going after in dynasty formats. Yeah, the the only thing I'm concerned with Mustak is, is how many teams are actually out there that need a third baseman, you know? Other than maybe the Brewers and the Cardinals, which makes way too much sense that the Cardinals haven't signed him yet. But other than that, I think, you know, he's going to be signed and he might get platooned or he might just be in like a a backup role, as sad as that is. Because I think he's, a, like you said, I think he can challenge for 40 home runs. But like, I don't know too many places out there that really need him. Well, now with, New York, uh, the Goldschmidt, with Goldschmidt in uh, St. Louis now, they're saying Carpenter is going to be playing mostly third. So I'm not even sure the Cardinals need him. My prediction at this point is he signs with the Royals who really don't have a third baseman. They've got Hunter Dozier playing third, which he's not really proven that he deserves much playing time. And I think that at this point, Moustakis might have to kind of settle for a deal that he probably wouldn't otherwise want. But I think he enjoyed his time in Kansas city and he, they might be willing to give him like a multi-year deal if they get a, a bit of a discount, which we're getting pretty late into the offseason for the second year in a row for him without being signed. So a discount might have to be what he settles for, especially if he can get multiple years from a team like Kansas City. That's my prediction. That makes sense. Yeah. Which, of course, that wouldn't be great for his his power, but his power kind of or, plays anywhere, even Kaufman. And we've seen that before. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Great question there, Kyle. Really good one. I enjoyed that. Our next one here is from a fellow Canadian for, uh, for you. It's from my good buddy Josh Mateo. He wants to know, he wants us to tell him something that we believe to be true in regards to fantasy baseball that pretty much no one else agrees with us. So I'll let okay. you do this one off again. So my favorite philosophy when it comes to Dynasty, my favorite format is people are ageist, you know? They always let people age 30 or older go way too late in the draft, and teams that pick up on it and are smart, you know, will pick up the players and reap the benefits, because like we've discussed already once on this podcast, a lot can change in two and a half years. (laughs) So Very true. You know, the Dynasty... 
yeah, the prospects you think are going to be hype might not be so hype. Like in the like I've mentioned, the dynasty draft we're doing for Pitcherless right now, I got Verlander at pick fifty nine, which I think is absolutely bonkers because you know guys like Tatis Jr. who may be great, Forrest Whitley who may be great. And Victor Robles, who may be great, but the biggest thing is they may be great. They might not be good. They could just, you know, burn out like a lot of prospects do. I'm I'm a big believer in taking production over potential, and I think that shows in all of the teams I've ever built, you know? So I think age yeah. – I think old people are undervalued, and age is a, a lot bigger deal in Dynasty than it should be. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I remember when we went through our uh, initial draft in the UDL, our, the Dynasty League we played in together, your team was one of the older ones out of the draft, but you immediately were competing for the championship in that first year. And mm-hmm. the team that you constructed, it's still competitive. Um, now, two and a half years later, it's still one of the better teams in the league. Uh, made the playoffs last year and everything, so... Cool. I, I don't disagree with you at all. I think um, there's a lot of value to be had in Dynasty Leagues where if you're willing to take an older players who are good now as opposed to planning for you know a few years down the road. So mine is definitely a weird one that I don't know if anyone else does this. <laughs> In fantasy baseball, like I'm not, I'm not just saying like in the industry, like analysts. I'm saying literally any player, because this is such a strange thing that I do. But I actually target runs on draft day uh, for hitters. So in categories leagues, I think the most ignored stat is runs, runs scored, because I don't think anyone is actively trying to get players that will score a lot of runs. I think a lot of people are just, are just like, yeah, give me my power, my speed, and batting average, and runs in RBI, they'll kind of take care of themselves. Even people might t- take a guy who's batting you know, third or fourth in the lineup because they think he'll get a lot of RBI, but you almost never hear about anybody really valuing runs, which they're just as valuable as RBI, steals, etc., because they're one-fifth of a batter's value, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so because no one's trying to win runs, no one's actively attempting to do it, it's a lot easier to do. So I, I'll, a lot of times, will try to get guys that I think will score close to 100 runs, if not more, um, and you can find them even sometimes in the middle of the draft. Look for... Uh, leadoff hitters on average teams um, that have an okay lineup, if they're leading off all year, they're going to score 80, 90, even 100 runs, even if there's not a lot of great guys behind them. So runs is a thing that I like to try to get. And I'm again, it's not that people disagree with me. It's just that I don't think anyone is even on the same page and no one's really considered it because there's not a ton of people that would think, oh yeah, that's that's an advantage. Mm-hmm. I, I really, this year, started to realize how important runs are, and it took the Puig trade to Cincinnati for me to really like look into it, because I was like, wow, Puig was really good for like the Dodgers. Like, Why was he rated so lowly overall? It's like, oh, he scored like 40-some-odd runs or, and like 40 RBIs, and something... 
it wasn't exactly that, but something really low because he was batting like seven and eighth in the lineup. Exactly. And it, it yeah, it, it just kind of dragged his value down, even though he hit 25 home runs and hit like 270, I think. He just wasn't that valuable because he wasn't getting a lot of runs. Yeah. Like, batting order is <laughs> definitely important. It's something you should consider on draft day. Like, Puig was in a in a very good Dodgers lineup. And a lot of people thought, oh, that's a good thing for him. He's he's in a good Dodgers lineup, so he'll score a lot of runs in RBI. No. He was batting mm-hmm. sixth, seventh, sometimes even eighth in that lineup. Like, there were so many other hitters up at the top that he just wasn't getting those opportunities to get the runs scored. He was getting some RBI because of the guys in front of him, but there was almost no one behind him. He's having, like, Logan Forsyth and Clayton Kershaw hitting behind him. So he wasn't getting those runs yeah. scored. <laughs> Not great. So it's – I think there's a lot of value to be had there because a lot of people – are basically ignoring it and just saying, oh, yeah, it'll figure itself out, which it could, and a lot of times it does, but if you are actively attempting to win runs, you can do so pretty often. And if you're playing in mm-hmm. one of those leagues where, you know, if you win more categories than your opponent in that week in a head-to-head league, you get you get the one win versus the leagues where, like, if you win six of the ten categories you get six wins and four losses if you're playing in the former where it's just the one overall win then every single category is so much more valuable at that point because a five to four to one victory is just as much of a win in the overall rankings as a 10-0 victory mm-hmm. exactly so there's my little uh tangent on runs and now that that's out of the bag can't use that strategy <laughs> in the pitcherless league so everyone's gonna take have it said that now you gotta zig when everyone's zagging <laughs> everyone's like "Ooh, austin's gonna go get that uh, leadoff hitter oh man i'm gonna grab him and then snipe him <laughs> that's another a random 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 thought i can't trust d gordon this year i don't think he's gonna hit leadoff because you know he's so many people need stolen bases, and this is a trap I get into too, where you're like, oh, this guy's going to steal a lot of bases. He's going to get a lot of runs. And I don't know why I think that, but it's something I got to stop doing because I remember, I think last year or the year before, I drafted Delino De Shields, thinking he was going to lead off. And he batted ninth most of the year and was absolute garbage. And even though he got me like 20 steals, he did nothing else. Correct. And that's. Yeah. You- a lot of steal like I, I think managers are getting smarter now where they're like oh the fastest guy on the team doesn't have to hit first you know so right stolen, I think with stolen bases nowadays yeah correct I think a lot of managers are being more analytical and putting just high OBP guys kind of that money ball strategy get, put guys that get on base up at the top in that one and two slot and then get your you know, power hitters to knock them in in the three and four slots. So mm-hmm. I I think Malik Smith is uh, set to lead off for the uh, Mariners right now, which does definitely hurt D Gordon's value. So that's uh yeah something something to keep in mind as you're looking at the two of them going forward. We got two more here. We're gonna go through kind of quickly. Uh, they're both from another supporter on the. Uh, pitcherless discord server uh he goes by frankensteezy which is a pretty sick uh username there he's got questions about a couple (laughs) of third base prospects so the first one 
do you think uh, K. Brian Hayes, I think I said that right, uh, he's a third base prospect for the Pittsburgh Pirates, do you think he has top 10 third base potential once he reaches the majors? See, I'm not a big K. Brian Hayes fan, but I think his 99th percentile, like if he hits his ceiling, I think he's a top 10 bat. And he's got such a great floor thanks to his defense, and his bat did make strides last year. Like, he walked more. He was hitting for more power. But the the big question still with him is, you know, how much power is he eventually going to hit? Because it's, it's hard to crack the top 10 third baseman currently if you're not hitting at least 20 home runs. I think, it, like, I, I checked on fan graphs, and the top t- the 10th third baseman in way to runs created plus was Eduardo Escobar. And I could see Hayes having a season like that eventually, but it's still very unlikely, I think. Like, his defense will take him to the majors eventually. Like, he's good enough he can play shortstop, but that bat has to – it has to go a bit more first. Yeah. Like, I could see him being top 10 in third base war because of his defense. Mm-hmm. Just like uh, – just like Matt Chapman was one of the war leaders last year because he's probably the best defensive player in baseball. But as far as fantasy purposes, I just don't think it's going to be a top 10 sort of mm-hmm. thing. Like, I yeah. think he, he'll wind up somewhere in that 10 to 15 range in his, like, prime years um, because I think he's going to give you a decent batting average. Um and I could see him hitting, you know, 20 home runs or so, but not a ton more than that. Like, I don't think he's going to be like a 25, 30 home run guy at any point in his career. So I'm just not sure he's got the power upside, uh, power potential there to crack the top 10 third baseman, which is a very deep batting rich position. Like, if you th- put his profile somewhere like second base, maybe. Like very, very possibly he could be a top 10 second baseman because it's a much thinner position. But at such a, you know, heavy hitting position of like third base, I just don't think he'll ever be quite top 10 material. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Now the next one here, again from Frank and Steezy, another good third base prospect question. With Nick Senzel, uh, infield slash potentially outfield prospect for the Cincinnati Reds, with Senzel potentially moving off of third base, is Jonathan India, the Reds' first pick in the 2018 draft, another third baseman there, will India uh, be a guy to target in dynasty leagues? So, easy answer is yes. <laughs> I, I put in capitals here, even with the depth the Cincinnati Reds have, that you should always invest in the talent. I think it's, you know, like they say, it's a good issue to have too much talent. And I think the or the Reds, sorry, will figure it out eventually if if they've got too much, like, good players on their hands, you know. India has massive upside, I think, and he's being slept on in the dynasty industry. I, I feel like he was drafted and people said he is above, like, he might have slightly above average tools, but nothing that really stands out. But I think that underrates just how how much power he could eventually have in Great American Ballpark there. He's got quick wrists. He's going to you know, play third base eventually, maybe second, maybe outfield. You never know with the, the Reds. And I just think he's being slept on, you know? Yeah, I I love the talent. I, I agree. He's a very talented player. He's seen as one of the 
highest floor hitters in the 2018 draft, one of the college hitters there. And I I do have a bit of an issue investing in a guy like India, especially if in your dynasty league you're planning on trying to compete in the next year or two because I don't think he's going to get much of an opportunity at the majors right now because obviously Eugenio Suarez, who we talked about pretty extensively tonight, uh, he's pretty locked in at third base for the Reds right now. And so you think, okay, well, what about second? Well, they've got Scooter Jeanette there. Well, what about shortstop? Right now they're pretty pleased with Jose Peraza there, and they're even talking about putting um, Nick Senzel at shortstop, who's who's been their top prospect and a top 10 prospect over the past couple of years. It's kind of one of those uber prospects there comp- compared to uh, uh, Alex Bregman in his talent level. So... I'm just not sure where he will play, but I agree at a certain point you just gotta invest in the talent because maybe the Reds trade him somewhere where he will get an opportunity. Like like you said, it's usually worth investing in the talent in Dynasty Leagues because somewhere along the lines, he's going to be a major league player. They're going to find a spot for them, and if they can't, some other team is gonna make them an offer and they're going to move him over there, and he can play over there. So while he may not be of value to your competing in the next year or so, he will eventually, you know, I think 2021 will probably be the year that I think he sees potential full-time at-bats. He could be very, very good from that point on. Mm -hmm. Well, all right. That rounds out our questions. So this was a... this was a lot of fun. It was, yeah. Nice to it's catch up. To, and... Yeah, that's so exactly what I was about to say. Great to catch up with you and, you know, get to know you a bit more as far as, you know, yeah. everything else in life that's going on. Um, I'm very excited uh, to have you on our Pitchless squad and be able to work with you again. Well, um, thank you. It's, thank you. It's going to be great to see all the content you're putting out uh, over the next few over the next few years and things like that. So well, now I you. actually am dipping my toe into your dynasty pool here. Um, I just finished a piece that I think is going to be published uh, tomorrow on Friday, um, outlining 52 prospects that were added to the ESPN player pool in the most recent mm-hmm. update. Um, it's a it's a 5,500 word piece <laughs> that I'm just like, Jeez. here, here's all of this. <laughs> so for any of you who are playing in ESPN Dynasty Leagues, you're going to want to check that out because there's some pretty valuable names there, I think, that are kind of could be overlooked in your Dynasty Leagues that you might want to scoop up. Uh, so check that out. So before we sign off here, uh, do you have any, anything you want to say before, uh, before we wrap it up? Yeah, I'm working on a, the mock dynasty review we did a couple weeks ago and we still haven't finished it up, but we are finishing up here and I've got a lot of, a lot of info and a lot of the guys I took like Nick Senzel and Jonathan Luizaga, I think that's how you pronounce his name for the Yankees. That is correct. I, I, people are going to want to read that for all the the information on those prospects, and I myself will actually be out in spring training in Arizona 
February 22nd to March 1st if anyone wants to come say hi. I don't know oh, if anyone exciting. else will be there. I know. I'm pumped. It's going to be fun. I'm going to go and meet up a bunch of my league mates and have a good time and scout some prospects and tell you who to draft and who looks good and who looks bad. I will tell you right now. I will tell you right now, okay? Okay, real close. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm listening. Mike Trout will be good. Whoa. Okay. Take that. <laughs> Take that draft. Take that draft tip right there, okay? I'm I'm oh, so excited geez. actually. I'm going to get to go watch the Oakland Athletics and I own a lot of AJ Puck and I'm hoping he's throwing and I'm so excited to see that slider and hope it's still good cuz He gets me going. <laughs> oh man. Jesus Lazardo is a guy that I'm excited to see throw in. Oh yeah. See I have absolutely none of him, and I'm so sad because I want a lot of him. <laughs> I just have none. Yeah. And with our uh, with our strange acquisition system that you're familiar with in the UDL, uh, he's currently sitting unowned because he was just added in the most recent update for okay. the SPN player pool. So he's currently unowned, and I've got the 17th pick, so there's no way he's making it to <laughs> no. me. Yeah, probably which makes not. Me sad. <laughs> You should not have released this list until the waivers <laughs> went the first set and then released the list and be like, oh, guys, look who you all missed. <laughs> oh, man, look at that, guys. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, um, you did mention our prospect draft we did. There were, uh, was it 12 of us? 12? I think so, yeah. You, me, and Adam Garland. Maybe Adam Law. Adam Garland, Brennan was on there uh with few lots of us you there was a bunch of folks 12 12 of our pitchless staff writers here a lot of them in that dynasty team uh got together and we drafted 300 prospects prospects only it was a prospect draft so we're all going to be releasing um pick by pick reviews uh each of them with about 24 if i remember right uh picks so you're going to be able to check those out and see guys that uh, we took in that draft. I know mm-hmm. I particularly had a strategy of targeting guys that were close to MLB ready. Um, so I've got a lot of guys who we saw get a cup of coffee in 2018. Some guys who were in AA and AAA in 2018. We will see play in 2019. Um, so you, you'll uh, you'll be able to see a lot read about my guys and see guys that you might be um watching play this next year even so that was that was my strategy going in was to get guys who i thought were close Mm -hmm. yeah i did something similar where a lot of my earlier picks i took guys with relatively higher floors i thought just because i thought they were still you know they can still be elite talent but maybe not the upside of uh, Michael Kopech or Alex Reyes or something like that, but I felt they were safer than those guys because with prospects, you know, they're gonna break your heart whether you want to or not. Like nine times out of ten, they're gonna hurt you. So I, oh, yeah. I, I ended up taking, <laughs> I ended up taking a lot of safe guys early on, and then I think it was around pick seven or eight, which was eighty nineties range. I started to to go more high upside guys that I thought would potentially move up lists within the next year and just skyrocket type thing, you know. Yeah, totally understandable. Whereas I was taking Sandy Alcantara in like the 20th round or something like that. <laughs> I love that pick quite a bit. I like Alcantara a lot, actually. He, I forgot completely I, I about that, him. Yeah, I think people kind of forgot about him or they assumed he wasn't prospect eligible anymore. Yes, uh, same with him. He and did not. 
he did not reach that uh, eligibility there. So still, yeah, you, still rookie I'll, eligible, prospect eligible. A lot of times when you made a pick, I was like, oh, I forgot about that guy. Like Tyler O'Neill. When you picked him, I was like, no freaking way. I want Tyler O'Neill yeah, so Tyler bad. O'Neal. I, thought, I thought he wasn't eligible. So I was like, oh, I can't take him. People are going to like, he's not eligible. And then you're like, I'm going to pick Tyler O'Neill. And everyone's like, yeah, great pick. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> I, I think a lot so of bad. a lot of the guys in the draft were like exactly that. My first <laughs> pick was Mike Soroka, and everyone's like, "He's not a prospect." And I'm like, "Yes, yes, he is." And then I kept doing that. Tyler O'Neill <laughs> last season uh, totaled 120 at bats, which is the exact number you can oh, have geez. to still be rookie eligible the following season. <laughs> if he had had a single more at bat, he would no longer be rookie eligible. However. <laughs> so there you go look forward to those uh like i said all 12 of us will be releasing those kind of pick by pick over the next couple of weeks here i think the first one is even set to come out uh the next few days so that's going to be very exciting there so look for mm-hmm. those if you guys are dynasty types and you're looking for some prospect stuff we have got it coming your way because pitcherless is all about giving you what you need all right, before we sign off here, Jamie, one more time, what was that Twitter handle so the folks can go out there and give you a follow? Okay, it's at Jamie, J-A-M-I-E, two underscores, Sayer, S-A-Y-E-R. And I tweet a lot about the Blue Jays and the Leafs, so get used to that. And ask me anything. Like, I'll, I'll answer whatever you guys want. Okay, well, not whatever, but... <laughs> fantasy wise i will <laughs> I, I will try to i gotta correct myself there i will try to answer anything you guys want so <laughs> fantastic you're gonna get so many weird questions i hope <laughs> no i know i i messed up <laughs> good a huge mistake <laughs> <laughs> well on that note my name is austin bristow for myself and jamie sayer this has been on the list <laughs>